All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Feeling pretty chuffed. Just got hand delivered a cheese muffin from the uh, cheese scone from the legislative dining room. I by noticed Amanda. that. That was that pretty good. Yeah, good for Amanda. Personal yeah. delivery. You get special service <laughs> down there. What? What? Okay, so we started the show today. My guest, first guest was Pierre Polyev today, and he announced this morning that if he becomes prime minister, part of his housing plan spe- specifies Vancouver, mm-hmm. and he says if Vancouver City Hall doesn't build more housing and he wants to see it increase by 15% a year that he would then penalize Vancouver by cutting transfer payments to the city for infrastructure. What do you think of that? Interesting. I'm not sure how much direct money Vancouver itself gets in transfer payments from Ottawa. Ottawa gives money to the provinces. Uh, Now, some of these infrastructure projects uh, traverse uh, municipal lines. You got the, for example, there's federal money in the SkyTrain extension from Surrey to Langley. Uh, I presume he'd be talking about penalizing Surrey and Langley. He, spe- of- he specified a couple of, like, asked him, what what specific funds are you talking about yeah. cutting? And he, he specified, I think, a GST transfer fund or something. But Yeah, I'm not sure how. I, I'm not that familiar with the, with the financial relationship between a municipality and the feds on that type of thing when yeah. it comes to transfer payments. Again, the lion's share of transfer payments from, that flows from Ottawa goes through the provinces. Yeah. Uh, and then it trickles down to the municipalities. But it's an interesting, obviously, he's got people talking about this. Poliev, uh, we had an Ipsos poll on Global uh, yesterday that showed Poliev has a significant lead uh, over his uh, competitors within the uh, Conservative Party. I think he's at 32%, and I think Sheree was at something like 14%. Uh, so he's, he seems to have a significant lead amongst the party faithful, but his support stops once he gets to the outer rim of the party. It looks like he's running away with it. I mean, when you take a look at the crowds he's getting, maybe that's not exactly well, as you and I clear have talked, indication. But yeah, remember, there's uh, every riding is assigned 100 points. Right. And then you've got to sign up members within that riding, and your share of the points is is determined by the number of uh, the percentage of, of members you have in that riding. Uh, then there's also a preferential ranked ballot. Uh, and Poliev, I presume, again, doesn't seem to be have much support from any of the other uh, camps. They all seem to be anti-Poliev, which means the supporters of Sheree and other candidates presumably would rank Poliev last in their preferential ballot or not even mention him at all on their ballot. And therefore, he would not have second ballot support. Remember, okay. Andrew Shear won after 12 rounds. Yeah. This is how complicated this thing can be. If you don't run away with it on the first ballot and you don't have uh, secondary support, you can hit a wall. And that's Poliev's uh, um, you know, biggest risk, I think, to his, his leadership. Okay, Jean Charest it will be on the Jazz Joe Hall show this afternoon. So we got all the heavy hitters here in the conservative leadership on the, on the station today. So I know that Charest is going to attack Poliev because he already has... He attacked Poliev for supporting the trucker convoy mm-hmm. in Ottawa, said that should disqualify him as the leader of the Conservative Party. So I asked Poliev about that and listened to him push back here against John Charest. This is Poliev speaking to me this morning. For him to talk about the rule of law is ironic after the scandal-plagued liberal government that he led uh, that ended up under police investigation in Quebec. No one can trust anything he says about the rule of law nasty stuff you know i've covered a lot of leadership races so have you uh there always can be some bitter uh acrimony and such but i've never seen anything like this this is this is beyond the the pale when it comes to candidates attacking each other yeah. and i wonder whether the party could my piece last week in north shore news burnaby now 
uh, New West Record column speculates again: Can the Conservative Party hold it to itself together? Yeah, right. Subsequent to the September 10th vote, given what Charest, how Sheree and Polev and others are, are disc- calling each other out in ways we haven't seen in previous leadership races, I wonder if they can hold it together and whether or not we're going to see a fracture, whether we see the old Reform Party aspect mm. of the of the Conservatives, which right now is the Poliev faction. Uh, breaks away and forms a different party? Or okay. uh, does the other side break away and form a different party? Long way to go here. The leadership will be decided in mm-hmm. September yep. is when they will vote. Okay, did you hear about the anti-old growth logging protesters blocking the Ironworkers Bridge? You know, there's a fundamental difference between blocking the Ironworkers Bridge, which are commuters trying to get to work, and Maine and Hastings, which is where the, a, a lot of other previous blockades have occurred. And the fact that motorists got out of their car and dragged the protesters away is um, a significant development. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you, you don't want to support like vigilante justice or violence no. or something, but man, I can understand how frustrating it would be. Some guy's trying to get to work, yeah. and then he's sitting in the middle of the ironworkers' bridge while these people are blocking the road. And like some people decided to take matters into their own hands. Unprecedented. Got out of their vans, got out of their vehicles, dragged some of these protesters aside. I heard wow. one of the protest leaders on NW uh, in the last, I think, uh, GMAC, Gord uh, threw to a, a clip of him talking about they were there to disrupt the economy. Um, that's not going to c- curry a lot of support amongst commuters who are trying to get to work. So interesting standoff. I'm not sure they're going to employ the same tactics, but uh, they want it. they've had, I think, 12 blockades now. They've had a couple There's here been in a Victoria. Lot. The province has served notice they're going to start seizing vehicles. They actually have yes. seized vehicles, and yep. that's going to happen. Uh, they, I don't think they blockaded iron workers with vehicles today. It was just um, hum- well, people uh, s- sitting down on the pavement. I I know that some of these protest leaders have gotten wise to that now. And mm-hmm. when they show up to block a highway, they don't come out with their own vehicles no. or they park further away because they ha- because the cops have seized their vehicles. I did speak to one of the protest leaders on this on the show. This is last week, and this guy's name is Brent Eichler. So he has been arrested. Four or five times. He wasn't sure how many times he's been arrested for blocking roads. He told me he's on probation. He's blocked so many roads. And I asked him, why do you keep doing this? Because you're just pissing people off. But why do you keep doing it? What are you trying to accomplish? Here's what he had to say. Uh, we've had petitions and protests and people have stood on the sidewalks holding signs for, if not hundreds of years, at least decades, and it's done nothing. Uh, industry is perfectly prepared to destroy the last of our old growth forests. 85% of the people in BC want them preserved. So we need to do something and we're doing the only thing we know that can be effective. And that is proved by history. Your thoughts. Well, I just don't see where he's saying this is proven by history at all. Well, Um, they frequently, they frequently will uh, invoke uh, Martin Luther King and say like the civil rights marches, Martin Luther King blocked roads too with the marches um, and that's what, and they won. So this is how you win. No, I don't think so. Um, trying to defend civil rights and end racism is a lot more, I think, uh, important than protecting a tree in most people's minds. Well, but they say it's, oh, this is about global warming, right? This is well, about the future of the planet. Yeah, no, and definitely, look, the p- public uh, is on side of, of fighting uh, global warming, no question. Blocking the Iron Workers Bridge, I don't think you're <laughs> going to get much support for that at all. Like, zero. <laughs> yeah. The thing I think is even people who might be inclined to support you 
are going to uh, be furious at you yeah. if, if you if you prevent them from getting to work. Yeah, you block you block the iron workers' bridge. I wonder how many uh, greenhouse gases are going into the atmosphere too with people idling, idling their cars on the uh, bridge waiting for the protest to end. So I don't I don't really don't think this. I don't detect any pressure on the NDP government as a result of these tactics. Yeah, I can tell you based on my conversations with cabinet ministers, they're like the motorist on the iron workers' bridge. They just think this is completely ridiculous. Okay. So again, it's not a pressure tactic that's having any impact. Guess that's a call me on that real quickly here. I watched your coverage on uh, Global News last night. It's interesting that the BC government, uh, when it comes to vaccination for extended health, so we're talking dentists, dental assistants, physiotherapists, mm-hmm. chiropractors, they are not required to be vaccinated, but the government has said they're going to require them to disclose their vaccination yeah. status. And it's still not totally clear how they're going to do that, right? Let's listen to Adrian Dix here, the health minister, on this point, then I'll get your thoughts. We'll be publishing that soon. Uh, we'll be publishing the overall numbers soon. Two ways of dealing with informed consent, basically. The first would be to publish lists, and I think most of us would find that um, not the best approach. And the others would be to insist that individual practitioners provide that information. Okay. Yeah, so this is a moving, uh, evolving policy. The original plan was for all health professionals to disclose uh, their vaccination status. They had to do that with their, their various colleges and registers. That was abandoned when the, I gathered there was some pushback. Then there's this ongoing um, unresolved issue, as far as I can even hear Minister Dix there, still trying to figure out how do you get people to disclose and how do you make that public or do you make it public? So this is a, an evolving situation. And what if you refuse to disclose? Is there a penalty, or what if? Well, if you refuse to if, disclose, in the, you're deemed to be unvaccinated. Okay. But how do you tell the public that? How does how do you find out as a patient right. of a or of a, a chiropractor or a naturopath? How do you determine if that it person's so- vaccinated or not? And that doesn't seem to be clear yet. It sounds like they're leaning toward not like some sort of public registry where you can go and check no. online. It'll be like one on one with the patient. Yeah. Like if if a patient asks you if you're vaccinated, you'll be required to answer. Yeah, and that, right? that seems to be where we're headed. Yeah. The other aspect of this, and I reported on this last night, is the uh, Novavax vaccine is now is showing up in BC in significant numbers. This is a traditional plant-based, protein-based vaccine, which is similar to all the other vaccines, different than Pfizer and Moderna, which is the messenger RNA vaccine. And already 3,000 people have requested that. And the assumption is that a number of those people are people who work in healthcare because um, we had about more than 2,000 people who worked in healthcare. And we're talking people working in hospitals and acute care settings, but potentially other healthcare professions as well. But people in, um, have been required to be vaccinated in, uh, in the acute care system for months now. A number of them have been put on, uh, more than 2,000 placed on leave or terminated. Yeah. And those people may now be getting the Novavax vaccine and that may allow them a, a re-entry into the workplace. All right, welcome back. It's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. Phone lines are open. James in White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Keith, I wonder, do you think the province is ever with these protesters when they do ridiculous things like glue themselves to the pavement, have police come out, EMTs, to get them off the pavement? Is, is the province ever going to say at some point, you guys did this to yourselves in an illegal action and you're responsible for all the costs incurred and start charging these people with all the costs incurred? Like, I, I've been stopped mm-hmm. in that Iron Workers Memorial Bridge, and I've, I've lost jobs because I wasn't able to meet a person to do an estimate. Can I go after them liably on Ooh. a personal basis or a business wow. basis for loss of income as a result of an illegal action? 
I think you'd be chasing a moving target. I just don't think um, you're going to have much chance of success of going that route. I, I don't see the province stepping in here. And, and other than what they're doing right now is expropriating the vehicles if they're deemed in, involved in any blockades. And that may be expanded uh, to personal belongings, but I don't see the province like suing protesters. That's a pretty dangerous line to cross. The police, when they seized some of the blockaders' vehicles the other day, they did it under the Civil Forfeiture Act, mm-hmm. which allows them to seize property that is supposed to have been acquired during the commission of a crime. So some of the protesters are saying like, oh, this is an overreach. You can't use the Civil Forfeiture Act to take our vehicles. It could end up in court, that one. It could, but I think, uh, I know having talking, talked to provincial officials, they've studied this. They think they're on firm legal ground here. Mm. That is a crime. It's not necessarily an indictable offense, but uh, you can be charged with uh, if you're blockading a highway. Okay, Ed on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Ed, go ahead. Hi. Hey, um Regarding the vaccine, uh, being notified that my dentist and physiotherapist, uh, I should have that right to know because I visit my wife in extended care four to five days a week and feed her lunch, and there's no one else in our family can do it. And if I get COVID from one of those people, uh, I cannot go into that care home. I am okay. done. Okay. And the bottom line here is, it is a selfish, ugly attitude that you will not tell someone if you have COVID. I was at the dentist the other day getting a uh, dental work done, and they are within 12 inches of your face. Sure, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, they have no right not to tell you. Thanks, Ed. Well, first of all... Um I think 92% of the population has been vaccinated. So one assumes that includes a lot of, you know, 92% of dentists. Sure. Uh, we're seeing that in healthcare where 98, more than 98% of the healthcare workers, when this was first required, um, were fully vaccinated. So again, a small percentage of society is unvaccinated. And I think that's, it means it's a small percentage of the professions are unvaccinated as well. Now, we have had instances like the chiropractors, that infamous meeting a few months ago, which was taken over by some anti-vaxxers. Uh, that's, but that seems to be an anomaly. There's nothing to suggest. I've seen no evidence to suggest that there's a whole bunch of dentists out there who are unvaccinated. There is some pushback, though. I mean, the there's the pushback dental... by the colleges and the, and well, the yeah, registers. Well, the Dental Hygienist Association yep. has raised concerns around privacy. For well, example. it's interesting that they raised the privacy concern when that wasn't um, voiced in the same way by the unions in in the public uh, healthcare system. I mean, nobody's talking about privacy right now. You know the vaccination status of everyone who works in a hospital. You must be vaccinated. They must be vaccinated, right. so you know. So the privacy is just not an issue. I, and when, when again, we're approaching 94% of the population double dose. I'm not sure privacy is a big concern. Kathy in Abbotsford. Hi, Kathy. you got 30 seconds here, okay? Hi. Well, that's not very long. Um, I just wanted to... Um See, I'm very pleased about the revealing the vaccination statuses of all the different um, pharmacists and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, chiropractors and all of those people, because there are uh, many people like me. I'm I'm looking more for somebody who isn't vaccinated. Yeah, thank you. Well, given the fact, again, that the vast majority of British Columbians are vaccinated, one assumes that most people want to know if a healthcare professional giving them a, a service is vaccinated or not. And the assumption is they probably are. Thanks, Keith.